Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll mention it in the sermon that this is, in a sense, a part two or a follow-up or an additional sermon on union with Christ, as we got from Nathan a few weeks ago. But we'll be looking at it under this topic of newness. The focus is verse 17. However, I'll read... Uh, verse 17 to 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word, and we thank you for this message, and we pray that your spirit will now speak to our hearts, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me begin with a, a question. Maybe you've had this asked of you before. You're out somewhere and you see somebody you don't know and they say, well, who, who are you? Or, or maybe you're at home contemplating to yourself and you're asking the question, who am I? Um, how would you answer that question? I know I can think of a thousand different ways I could answer that. I could say that I am Christie's uh, husband. I could say I'm Andrea's dad. I could say I'm an American. I'm an Italian. I, I could say I'm a pastor. All these things are true. And, that, and in a very real sense, they define part of who I am. But as true as they are, and you could think of those things for yourself, uh, they aren't what ultimately defines me. They shouldn't be what ultimately defines you. Our ultimate answer to that question should be something like this. I am Christ. I belong to him. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. I I live and breathe in Christ. I am one with him. I belong to Jesus. See, if you're a Christian and you're a person who has the life of Christ pulsating through you, somebody who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then that will be who you are, knowing that he is the one who's sustaining you. He's the one who's securing you and supplying you all that you need to live and live within his blessings. He gives you his power to do that. And so you see, when you talk about your identity, as Nathan so eloquently talked about when he spoke on union with Christ, your identity as a person, who you are, has everything to do with being united to Jesus. You're united to Christ. And see, it's really a life-altering way of thinking. It's more than simply saying, well, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. 
Uh, when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's something that's true about you too. But if we live in the recognition that we belong to Him, that, that we have this new identity in Christ, if we live every day reminding ourselves of that reality, that we live and breathe in Christ, that all God's blessings are in Christ, as we made our way through this doctrine and theology of the Apostle Paul and his life and ministry, you remember all those blessings are ours in Christ. Our justification is in Christ. Our sanctification is in Christ. Our redemption is in Christ. We've been adopted in Christ. We will be glorified in Christ. We bear fruit in Christ. The assurance of our salvation is not found in how hard we work, but it's found in Christ. All those truths are true because we have been made by the Spirit in union with Christ. And so if we recognize that, if we can grasp it a little, if we live and, in a sense, breathe this truth, well, you remember what was said in Acts 17, the church will be turning the world upside down if we recognize that as our identity. And so this morning, as I said, I want to follow up on Nathan's sermon and return to this doctrine of union in Christ, and I want to look at it from the image of newness. And there's three points I want to make, simple points, uh, as you consider together how our union with Christ gives us a new perspective, it makes us a new person, and provides us a new purpose. And so a new perspective, a new person, and a new purpose. You see, there's three Ps. That's what I learned from, from the Baptist. <laughs> Just so it worked out this morning. <laughs> well, first, our new position in union with Christ. You, you've been taken out of Adam, and you've been placed in Jesus, and so you have a new perspective. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, the point Paul is making here is that those who are united to Christ need to stop judging people from the world's standards. According to the flesh has to do with according to human standards. See, for Paul, the only thing that is important is whether someone is in Christ or outside of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul never looked at someone's life and, and evaluated what he saw. He did that. What it means is that he didn't base his evaluation on an outward appearance. See, basically, he's saying, I wear the same spiritual lens as those that know Christ. And because I view Christ differently, now I view others differently. That's the point of the second half of the verse. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. See, prior to his conversion, Paul judged Christ using worldly criteria. He used worldly Wisdom and what happened? You remember, we talked about this. It was the wrong conclusion he came to. He saw Jesus as a blasphemer and, and he was wrong. That's what we're told in Acts 22 and 26. And what did that cause him to do as he saw things in an incorrect way? It caused him to kill Christians, to want them arrested. But see, once he was united to Christ, he no longer allowed the world uh, to shape his view of who Jesus is. That's the important thing. Remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed his life radically. 
He had all that learning under the, uh, the Jewish leaders and those who taught him the law, the teachers of the law, and he had all that truth, and it didn't lead him to the true truth. And, and the wisdom of the world did not allow him to discover that Jesus was the Savior of the world. What had to change? He didn't have to get a little bit smarter. He, he had to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's what happens. He has an encounter with King Jesus. And that convinced him that he needed to reevaluate his view of Christ in light of what Christ accomplished for him on the cross. And so now, Paul, here he is. He's united to Jesus. He, he knows Christ and he's had his spiritual eyes opened up. And he sees things differently. He sees things through the lens of the crucified, risen, exalted Lord, Messiah, and Savior. And because of that, he views others differently now through that same lens. He actually began to imitate Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave up his life for others. Not only for the Jews, if you remember, but also for the the Gentiles, as a Pharisee, Paul had strictly followed the, the Jewish law and its traditions, which meant he had limited contact with, with the Gentiles. And so it, being around Gentiles was not something he did regularly. But now he has a different lens. Now he sees things differently. Now, he, because of what Christ has done in his life, in light of that union he now has with Jesus, Paul abandons those things, and he begins calling the Gentiles to faith in Jesus Christ. He regarded everyone, both Jew and Gentiles, completely unworthy sinners before God. He viewed everyone the same. He was no longer looking at the outward appearance, whatever a person was from this certain ethnic group or racial origin. Instead, he evaluated people through Christ perspective. And so we must do the same. That's the simple application. We must evaluate others based on spiritual criteria, a a, a Christ-centered criteria, not a worldly criteria. Let me ask the obvious question here. When when you form your opinion of someone, and we all do this, so I'm obviously speaking hypothetically, but at the same time, we know we're guilty of this. What do you base that understanding of who they are on? Is it their race? Is it the color of their skin? And then you base that judgment. Maybe it's their political party. I said in the early service, maybe it's, are they for masks or against masks? Uh, I've seen churches literally splitting over uh, that issue. Maybe it's their education, their salary, you can fill in the blank, the clothes they wear, the car they drive. What do you evaluate them on? How do you size people up, as the saying goes? Well, we're guilty of doing this, but we've forgotten when we do that, that we're united to Christ, and we need to see things from a new perspective. And so we need to follow Paul's lead. He followed Christ's lead, and we follow Paul's lead. We're in a new position. We have Christ's spirit and word pulsating through us. And so we have this new perspective. And so it only makes sense to view others from that perspective, from a spiritual perspective. It's not that those other things aren't important at times, but they're not our priority. We need to acknowledge that what is most important when we look at others, 
is not the color of their skin. It's not their economic status or how popular they may, may be or how popular they'll make you. It has whether or not they are united to Jesus. Now, if I were to put this a different way, we can say, as our passage does, we no longer do something. Twice Paul says that here in verse 15 and 16. He no longer does something. In verse 15, the verse right before our passage, we are told that a person united to Christ no longer lives for himself. And he died for all, this is verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And and so we don't live for self. We no longer live for self. We live for Christ. And then in verse 16, we're told that a person united to Christ no longer regards Christ, no longer regards Christ from a purely worldly point of view. And that's what we just talked about. Uh, in some details. So we no longer live for self and we no longer view people through a worldly lens. And, and we, which leads us now to our second point, we are a new person. We don't view them through that lens because we're different too. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, when you were made alive in Christ, when you were united to him, when you were born again, your old nature, which was enslaved to sin, was put to death, as it were. And you were given what? The Holy Spirit of God, and you've been given this new nature. And so you see, a believer is not simply someone who's a better person. Often we are not. Uh, to be honest, we're, we're, they, they are a new person. The Holy Spirit gives a person a new life, and they are not the same anymore. We're not reformed. We didn't go through a program, and now we're reformed. Or you listen to my sermons, and so now you've been reeducated or just rehabilitated. Uh, we're recreated. Uh, Paul says here, we're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Now, what are these old things? Well, it refers to our old thoughts. It refers to old principles, old practices, all these things. It refers to godless, selfish living. It refers to the hardened heart we had for Christ. Uh, the fact that we were separated from God, that's an old thing. The fact that we were slaves to sin, that's something old. That is what is old. And so when you participate in those things, as we often do as sinners, it's as if we're trying to resuscitate the old nature. And God has said, I'm, I'm, I put that to death, and you say, no, I want more of it. And so you try to resuscitate it. And so we need to live in the recognition that our old cells died in Christ. But that's not all. It's it's not just the old died. There's something new. Paul says the old has passed away and the new has come. And what's the new things? Well, that refers to our new heart. The fact that we have a new nature, a new life. We have a, a new hope. Uh, It refers to the new perspective I just talked about when we view others, all those things. Think of the Apostle Paul and the new perspective he now had. In verse 14, we're told that love was now the controlling mode of his life. That was something new. 
instead of hate, which was something old. In verse 15, he says, serving the one who died for him, that's something new, had taken the place of selfishness, that's something old. And then in verse 15 again, a true understanding of Jesus he had now, that was the new thing, had replaced his ignorance. That was the old thing. And so the new thing refers to a new perspective. That's important. We have a new way of seeing things. But it also refers to this, and I think this is important, and it's come up a lot in our series on Paul. It it, it speaks of a new relationship we have with God. Look at verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God has reconciled you to himself. You, the sinner, you who were his enemy, that's something old. And now you are his friend. Now you are his child. That is something new. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, because you are now united to him, you now have a new relationship with the triune God. That's something new, something to celebrate. And so, beloved, all these things are true of you, the believer. At the moment, you were united to Christ. You have a new heart. You have a new nature. You have a, you have a new life, a new hope, a new perspective. You're in a new family. You have a new relationship. You are a new person. Because of your position in Christ, you have a new perspective, you are a new person, and now third, you have a new purpose. Look at verse 18. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. There you go. Next time somebody says to you, Uh, Who are you? Oh, I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings. That'll get their attention. It'll be strange, but that's a good thing. It'll get their attention. Ambassador in biblical times was somebody that was appointed by the king, usually a more experienced person, and they represented the king wherever they went, from one country mainly to another. And so they left their own country and went out to this new country, to other regions where the king had authority, and they carried the king's message. They didn't bring their own message. They didn't, they didn't get somewhere and say, I'm not sure, you know, maybe we can negotiate. They had one message, and they brought it. Wherever the king sent them, that's what they did. Well, that's who we are. We're told her we are messengers who represent the king of heaven with the gospel. And what we're told here in verse 19, the message of reconciliation. And we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And we come into this world and we live in this world and we tell this world, be reconciled to God. God is your rightful king, we tell them. You, Paul says, are God's mouthpiece. Look at verse 20. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. It's an amazing thing. God doesn't have to do that, but God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is your purpose in life, to be his ambassador, 
Now, you may do it in your day-to-day job. You're his ambassador wherever you are. You, you are called to do the work of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. You're called, your calling is to, to proclaim the message of the king, the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your calling. What greater purpose could there be than to tell others, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. How? How am I reconciled to God? Glad you asked. Look at verse 21. (laughs) For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, the idea here is that of imputation. We are born sinners in Adam. We're born in Adam. And Adam's sin is imputed to us. And, and, and so we are God's enemy at birth. We are sinners. We have original sin. We're born sinners. Yet, God loves us. And so for our sake, we're told, he made him to be sin, who? Jesus, who knew no sin. That is, Christ on the cross does this. He takes your sin, your sinful rags, and he places them upon himself. And in exchange for that, what you give him is your sin. What he gives you is his righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about here. There's this great exchange, theologians call it, the the three imputations, if you will. Adam's sin imputed to us, our, our sin imputed to Christ, and Christ's righteousness imputed to us. That's the message of reconciliation. Our sin for his righteousness. It doesn't seem like it's a fair deal. It is not. But we receive his righteousness. The hymn writer put it this way. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. It's a doctrine of substitution. That Christ takes your place. He takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. Our sin for his righteousness. That's the message we proclaim. That's the good news. We have been commissioned to tell others that. He will take your filthy rags and he'll give you the robes of his righteousness in its place. See, when you go out into the world... When, when, when you leave uh, uh, the Bible study at home or the, the worship service on Sunday, uh, when you're with your unsaved friends where we need to all spend more time, when we're with unsaved family and we need to spend time there, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You're a new creation. You have a new perspective, a new purpose. You've been given a new heart, a new nature. You've been given a new calling. You are a child of God, an undeserving child of God, but you are a child of God who's been given the status of ambassador for the King of Kings. That every time you come in contact with someone, that is your calling. Well, Paul's clear, we do it in love. And it may do it take over meeting after meeting, a meeting with them, and that's another sacrifice because we're in Christ. We're willing to love. But you're to speak the message of salvation with God's authority. Remember the ambassador goes and speaks with the authority of God? You have the authority of God and his power through his spirit. 
God is making his appeal through you. And so you go into the world with humble, humble reliance upon Christ, and yet with a holy boldness to proclaim God's word. You go as a servant, recognizing that the King of Kings, King Jesus, first served you by dying on the cross. And, and if you will do that, if, if, if we would do that, well, then you'll be living as one who clearly proclaims before the world, I am united to Jesus. They'll know it by your love. They'll know it by your faithfulness. They'll know it by your care for them and the proclamation of the gospel. And so that's your identity if you're a believer. You are united to Christ. You're a new creation. You're a new person. You have a new perspective. And you have a new purpose to be an ambassador for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, let me close real quick. Let me close by making one last observation. That's it. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 18. Paul says there, all this is from God. All this is from God. Who united you to Christ? God. Who saved you in Christ? God. Who blessed you in Christ? God, who gave you a new perspective in Christ? God, who made you a new creation in Christ? God, who gave you victory over sin in Christ? God, who forgave you in Christ? God, who made you an ambassador in Christ? It was God. Who gave you that message that you were to share when you go out into the world? It was God. And whose message is it? It is God's. All this is from God. That's why the chief end of man is not to glorify yourself, it's to glorify God. No one deserves the glory more than God. There's no one else really to thank and to praise other than God himself who united you to Christ and sends you into the world. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for your, for your goodness toward us when we were undeserving. We thank you for your love toward us when we were hateful. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given us a, a, a new perspective after creating us anew and sending us into this world. Help us to represent you well. And so we pray that you would send your spirit upon us in Christ's name. Amen.